Good evening, everyone. Well, good to be with you this evening. Already, it's been a good occasion to be able to sing these songs. You know, I'm standing up here, and I think what you're expecting is a sermon. And we've already had one. It's the sermon you all were teaching to each other by singing these songs, songs of faith and joy and, and devotion to God and reflection and, and seeking God. And so we've had one. How many are you up for tonight? <clears throat> I appreciate the prayers that have been prayed this evening. We'll continue with those throughout our week. And now we turn our attention to opening God's Word together, another uh, good use of our time. What I expect to be doing with you is what the Apostle Paul did. Anytime he had an occasion to reach people, he would open God's Word, the Scriptures, and reason with people from the Scriptures. And so, I'm actually going to ask you to be a bit of an active participant tonight, not in some kind of odd way that seems artificial or contrived, but really consider what's being said. Now, uh, David read a, a very familiar parable to us. And this, one's, this one, I'm quite certain, is not new to you. And, you know, you've probably heard a number of people teach about this, this sermon. But I want to reason with you about a couple of different aspects here and really get a certain, really get the flavor of what's being said. Something perhaps that might be missed. There's another um, framework that I like to put on Bible study. I don't, I say I like to put on it. I read that in the olden times, and as when we read of Ezra and Nehemiah, they wanted to open God's word. And what they did was they read from God's word. They gave the sense, and that's kind of what I want to do tonight. Um, it's like, you've read this. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain you've read this parable. I want to give the sense of it. And make sure there's an explanation that is very clear. And anything that was maybe unclear about this for us beforehand, maybe we can help each other with this. But I said I'm going to ask you to be a participant. And by that, I just mean, I'm going to ask you several questions to cause you to think, why did these things go the way they went in this, uh, in this teaching of Jesus? We're considering... The teaching of the master teacher. How is it that he was able to go and meet a woman by a well? And he had a conversation about what? About water. He would go to, in this instance, a dinner. And what was he, how was he going to teach them? He was going to tell them, teach them lessons about a dinner. Or actually, several of them. In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke 14. Maybe your finger or your marker went there as David read it to us earlier. And see that Jesus, this is amazing actually. He goes to a, this, what we want to do at first is get the context of what's going on. And then marvel a little bit at how Jesus is able to do such powerful teaching in this account, and then really grasp and really get the flavor for what he's teaching in the last of these uh, teachings, the last of these parables, because in fact, after going to this teaching with the Pharisees, excuse me, in fact, going to this dinner, he's at a dinner, as it says in Luke 14, verse 1, came about, he went into the house 
one of the leaders of the Pharisees, and the idea was they were going to uh, dine there. Do you know that on this occasion, he taught not one lesson, not two lessons, but three lessons? <laughs> and every one of them had to do with a dinner. And I'm guessing three lessons is about two, at least two more than you're willing to put up with for me up here tonight. Um, so we'll stick with the last one. But we will explain that, well, not, we won't explain, we'll sum up. <laughs> let me explain, no, let me sum up the first two of those parables of Jesus because he's at a dinner and he noticed something as he joined them to sit down. So we will notice that what he said in verse seven, he noticed how they were picking out the places of honor. So what did he need to teach them about this? Well, he says, look, the right way is not seeking honor for ourselves, but learning to be truly humble And what that will cause is there will be honor for you. If you're truly humble, there'll be honor for you, but at the right time and from the right person. Honor that's real. The only honor that's important. Okay, that's the summary. We're going to go quick. That's the summary of the first one. And um, he taught them. He said, look, if you go to this dinner, you might end up being a great deal embarrassed if you're seeking the honor for yourself. Well, maybe that's a fair summary of the first one. What about the second one? In the second one, this is um, not something we consider maybe uh, uh, enough. Here's one. He says, you're accustomed to giving these dinners. And this Pharisee has, has given this dinner. And who has he invited? Has he invited the people that will have him at their dinner at some point in the future? That I get that impression. I get that impression. Jesus says, actually, I want to, I want to, Um, encourage you when you give a reception or a dinner don't make it these people that can turn around and have you and you mix in the oh the best social circles that there are and what kind of reward will you get from that oh you all the recognition and we were talking about this the other day how um, you used to have the newspaper and anybody who was anybody would be at these events and oh the things they were doing at these events and these were the who's who of Murfreesboro and Rutherford County and I expect there's prob- this probably still exists on some online website the Rutherford journal.com I'm making that up .org and you probably still see the same thing and the same thing still happens these invite these and these invite these oh they and they mix with the elites now we're taking too much time here but he said don't be that way invite the people that can't repay you and what motivation would you have for doing that because then there is a repayment that comes from the right person at the right time And that maybe is a fair summary of the second lesson he taught them. We're not going quite as quick on the third one. Now, this, what he said at that moment, actually caused one of the people in the room to have a response. And he actually called something out. And I want you to notice this because this is what, this is what causes Jesus to teach this last lesson. And At first, you may not see a perfect correlation between what this man says and actually Jesus' response. And actually, we're going to see it's a bit of a correction of what this man was saying. So why? Why does Jesus need to correct this? Because on its face, let's read it. On its face, this seems like the best thing he could be saying at this time. Jesus is talking about 
Um, spiritual things. And this man, one of the, this is uh, Luke 14, verse 15. All right, go to your scriptures with me. When one of those who were reclining at table heard this, he said to him, blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I think I agree with that man. <laughs> and I think, I suspect that Jesus knew his heart, but I suspect Jesus could have agreed with that statement just as it stood. And yet, when we read what Luke says in verse 16, there's a but. But Jesus said to him. So there's a bit of a response here. Something about what he said doesn't, um, doesn't work. And why not? Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, how is this a controversial statement? Or how is this in any way wrong? Jesus himself taught um, people on another occasion. They, said, they were trying to think that John the Baptist was, had this great place of honor and a position. Jesus said, anyone who has part of the kingdom of God is actually in a better place than John is, right? So he's not diminishing the our participation in the and a desire to participate in the kingdom of God by no means. What's wrong then with what this man says that Jesus has to teach him a parable and say, maybe you haven't gotten it entirely right. Well, not not with his statement, and certainly don't uh, start to think that. But maybe with. Well, okay, so Leland said, um, made a comment in his lesson this morning, and we've, we do this regularly. It's not about what we say. Talk is cheap. It's like, are we going to have any kind of faith and action that, um, that follows with that? So he's saying the right things, but will he make the actual right response? And will he eat bread in the kingdom of God? Well, this is the context. So, in the context, if he says something about the kingdom of God, what, and Jesus starts to teach and starts to speak about something, what can you expect? We're, being, we're, we're paying attention. We're being careful readers. What can we expect that Jesus is going to have to speak about? We can probably expect it's going to be about the kingdom of God. Now, some of you, by the way, I, I need to step out of this for just a minute and say, some of you are going to be way ahead of me and anticipate what, what we're going to say. And I also need to say that I forgot, in, uh, among many things I'm going, going to forget, um, is in Luke 14, we get one telling of this parable. And I've chosen this one first for a specific reason. Matthew's account makes things a little bit easier to follow and maybe um, it, it fleshes it out in a way that Luke's does not. But I think as careful Bible students, we can look at this and gain what we need to gain. Even though at first, I'm going to put something to you that will be challenging. Okay, what is Jesus' statement to this man? But he said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to those who had been invited. So previously been invited. He sent them to those, come, everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. And there were many who were invited. And we, get, we learn of three of the excuses. 
Um, or three of the types of excuses. They would follow like this. They'd be something like this. One of them says, uh, you know, I bought a piece of land and, you know, I need to go out and look at it. Some of you have bought land recently and I'm expecting you know, that you're going to spend some time on that land and be looking as like I'm putting my house here and pro- it would be a problem to put my house here. And okay, something reasonable about going out to look at your piece of land, but yet they're asking to be excused. And Luke calls it an excuse. I don't know if that means Luke is trying to give us a hint that this is, this is not a good reason. <laughs> it's not a valid reason. It's, in fact, it's pretty thin. And most of them do sound at least a little bit thin when we consider them, right? But they're asking to be excused. So, so at least in that way, it's an excuse. I'm asking to be excused. What does another one say? Well, verse 19, another one says, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen. That's a, a significant uh, purchase. And I'm going to go try them out. Please consider me excused. It's pretty obvious to think, it's like, you have a big purchase here. Is there a return policy? Because are you really, what is this trying them out? I think our English speaking ears hear that try them out and think, I believe I would have done that before I bought them because I'm suspecting there's not a return policy, right? Um, I'm going to go try them out. Maybe this is a better understanding of that because that that almost doesn't make sense. Maybe that is what he's saying. But maybe this is a better understanding of it. Um, All right, I'm speaking to the men now because I'm a man and I know men, (laughs) at least a little bit. Um, You've been mowing your grass. Maybe it's three or four or five acres for years with a push mower, okay? And you, you save your money. You're a good steward. And you're able to buy the good one, the one that's a zero turn and it just goes and it just mows. Okay. If you buy that, and this has something to do with your work, you have to, the oxen, something about your work. Oh man, he, that guy's, he's going to be on that mower all the time. It's like, he'll mow it three or four times a week now. I want to go and try them out. I'm, I'm, I'll spend all, all sorts of time on my, you know, my, even to men, tools are toys. <laughs> even tools are toys. And so he's, for something about his, this yoke of oxen, he's wanting to spend some time with that. Try them out, whatever that means. But he says, please consider me excused. And he considers this a reason to avoid... Um, Let's call it showing up. And then uh, finally, verse 20, another one says, well, you know, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. As though that's kind of self-explanatory if you marry wives. (laughs) Um, And I have remarked in the past that if, if any of them have any kind of weight whatsoever, maybe this one does, you have to prioritize the well-being and the desires and the things of your spouse So you look at all of these and you say, well, at least you could say, at least for most of them, what what could be more reasonable than going and, you know, doing these things? And yet, and yet, in verse 21, when the slave comes back and reports this to his master, he came back, then the head of the household became angry. This is where I put maybe one of the first Important questions to you. We, we will, by the way, read the rest of that in a minute. It's important. My first question to you, consider carefully. Is this man ain't right? Is he justified? Is it right for him to be angry? 
If so, why? If not, why not? Let me tell you a story. And I want you to consider if this, here's, you're being active, right? I want you to consider if this story I tell you is a fair characterization and if it's parallel to what we read right here. All right, I know that there's a big sports event coming up soon and uh, I don't watch sports all that much, but I, I like this one. Maybe it's the Super Bowl. I'm having a Super Bowl party. I want you to come. I want you to come. We're going to have pizzas. We're going to watch the game. It's going to be good, clean fun. And you say, ah, I wish you'd ask sooner. We have something to do that day, but you know I would have been there if I could. What if I were to become angry at you at that response? Would that be justified? And if not, does that mean that maybe what I'm saying now is not the same as what was being said? Some people are shaking their head yes, and I appreciate that. What if I say, um, we'd like to have you over for lunch on Sunday. Um, or we'd like to go share a meal together somewhere. And you say, ah, if only you invited me sooner. Um, we absolutely would have done that. We'll do that sometime, uh, but we can't today. Or I have this, or I have that. You know, you know we're, we're into all sorts of things. And if I were to become angry, would you say that that was justified? And if not, does that mean that what I just said is, is different than what's going on here? And if so, let's see what's really going on in this parable and why this man has become so angry. And, you know, I'm not hiding anything from you to... To think that, you know, I'm, I have no, no, I'm not deceiving myself to think that you don't know who this man represents. There's a one-to-one correspondence in this parable between this man and who it actually represents, the dinner and what the dinner actually represents, and the people who are invited and who they actually represent. And I know I'm not hiding anything from you because you're, you're way ahead of me. We know who this certain man represents. We're talking about the kingdom of God and suddenly we're talking about a certain man and we're trying to make a point about the kingdom of God. You already know who we're talking about here. And so we're starting to reason this through. God is angry. God's anger must certainly be justified. So why is he angry? And again, if you're way ahead of us on this, why then um, this will be a, a simple exercise or else let's consider it together. So at the beginning, it says there's a certain man and he's given a big dinner. What kind of man is this? Evidently, he's a man of some influence, some power. He has a number of associates and people, friends. He has a number of friends. Um, and he's giving a big dinner. What does it mean that it was a big dinner? That it was big because lots of people were coming? Well, it says he's giving a big dinner and he invited many. So is it redundant? He's giving a big dinner because he invited many and he is inviting many. I don't think it's redundant. What does big dinner mean? Lots of food. I had a pretty decent meal for lunch and meat and two sides. <laughs> that was a big dinner. Is, is he calling it a big dinner because it's a, you know, he's prepared a large quantity of food? Or maybe it's a big dinner because it's associated with a big event. There's something significant happening that causes him to throw this dinner. There's a graduation or something of this nature, a, a marriage, something of this nature. 
certain man is giving a big dinner and he invited many. Many people are, he wants this house to be full. Full. He wants a lot of people to share in whatever joy or whatever great occasion. I'm making, I think we can reason that there's probably an occasion behind this. And we can prove all these things, I think, from Matthew's account in a minute. But I think we're good students and we can see carefully. Big dinner. He's invited many. He wants to bless other people by having them come and be with him at this dinner. And so he invites many people. Now, then he sends out his slave to all these houses. Uh, Matthew's account will say it's several slaves. And so he's having to send these people out to houses. I have a question for you. If those people had been invited, which they were, and had told him at that time, I can't be there, would he have sent his slave at this hour to their house and said, come, I know you're, uh, yeah, I think, I think not. I think not. Um... I don't think we're going out on a limb to suppose that they had agreed to be there. Elsewise, why are we going and saying, hey, it's time to come. I told you I couldn't be there. (laughs) So we're reasoning that I think it's clear that these ones had agreed to be there. And now it's time. The time has come. And he sends his slave out. Okay, now all of us, we need to take a side, step out of that for a minute and say, in case it's not immediately obvious, they lived in a different culture. We have either one of these on our wrists or one of those uh, techie things on our wrists that Apple makes or something that's tracking our heart rate. But, you know, primarily the idea that we can keep time very easily. There's timekeeping devices plastered everywhere. We can't possibly forget what time it is and how much time we don't have remaining tonight. Um, all these, all these timekeeping devices, they had an easy ability to come at a certain time. Well, they didn't have that. They said, come to my house this weekend. I'm going to have a feast. And they said, I'll be there um, and I'll tell you when. And so he tells them when. He's like, okay, now it's ready. It's coming out of the oven. Come on, it's time to go. And now at this late hour, they're saying, oh, well, now something has come up. Or now I have this or I have that. And you know how things are. And excuses after excuses and of all stripes and not very, you know, sound pretty thin like we said. And that is the response he gets from his, the guests and friends he invited. Are we starting to get a little bit of a flavor for why? We haven't justified him yet maybe, but why he was angry. He said, you, you, you said you would be there. I prepared all of this. Uh, more about that in a minute. They all made these excuses. So he, he does become angry. We'll make some more answers in a minute, but let's, let's see what else he did. So come down to verse 21 again. Now he says to his slave, this is not going to be the way. Then the head of the household became angry and he said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city. What's this for? And bring in here the poor cripple, the blind, and the lame. And his slave is no doubt thinking, Master, do you know the kinds of people you find in, on the streets of the city? Because you invited us, probably a certain type of people, a different kind of people, your friends, your close ones. But now what you have in mind, and he tells him, go. These are the ones I want to invite. There's something in that. 
And so the slave does this. And in verse 22, the slave says, master, what you have commanded has been done. And still there's room. And what the master does is he sends him for more. And what this tells me is, I think we were right to suppose that he really wanted to share something significant, something significant with other people. He says, I'm not celebrating this on my own. This is a big event. This is something big and something important. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm bringing as many as I can and I want my house to be filled because I want to bless them and I want them to share the joy of this occasion with me. Now he tells him in verse 23, if you didn't think you found enough or anyone who would come in, now he says, go out into the highways. What kind of people do you find on the highways? What kind of people do you find along the hedges? Talking about ditches. What kinds of people do you find in ditches? Would you invite them to your, what, you know, Graduation, wedding, dinner for, on Sunday afternoon? The, this is done. Oh, and, and I, di- I didn't read the end of verse 23. Very important. Compel them to come in. To plead with them. Please come. I want you to share this with me. Please come that my house may be filled His joy was in filling his house with people who would share his joy and share this meal. And I think I observe that they're the kind of people who have their lives and have things going on and their their lives are really pretty good and have things set up. And were they hungry for this meal? Were they even hungry for it? It sounds like, no, they weren't. It sounds like when they went to a place where there were hungry people, homeless people, outcast people, Dirty people, they found people that were hungry. Did they come to this feast? They came to the feast. And he tells them in verse 24, For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. They have chosen not to be part of this. I don't know whether if they had, you know, showed up Now, after saying, no, I'm not coming, whether or not he would have accepted that or accepted their visit, or if he was so put off, so disappointed, and can we say so insulted by their reaction and and by by them blowing him off, just blowing it off. That's, That's our way of putting it, right? None of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. And they've chosen that for themselves. We've noticed a few things here in Luke. And we have asked whether this man is angry or is uh, justified to be angry. Now I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 22 and see some things that will make this more clear. And while you're turning there, maybe I should just say why I was emphasizing this idea about the people who were invited later. See, there, was, there were people who were invited originally, and since we, we, we've said that there's a one-to-one correspondence with this story and something that's going to take place around the coming of the kingdom of God, there were people who were invited and told of this in advance, and they didn't show up. Have we identified who that is? 
you know, you're good Bible students. These, these, this, is the, this is the Jews, especially the, leaders of the, especially the leaders of the Jews, but by and large, the Jews. And to this day, the Jews have rejected their Messiah, by and large. And others were able to come because those places were unoccupied. It's like he had name tags on the table. And he says, you're going to have to tear up those name tags. Because those, they're not coming. They had their place reserved. That's how it was for the Jews and the kingdom of God. He intended them to be the first ones to come into it. The first ones to enjoy his dinner. But his goodness is such that if there's any place unoccupied, it needs to be filled And so who fills that? The ones of us who are not Jews, but who have heard the invitation and the the good message that we can be part of the dinner. And we've been part of that. But not only that, I will also make the point quickly now because we won't be able to make it later, is that we probably... uh, I think we spend a lot of our efforts trying to reach well-dressed people in the world who have things going on, they have their beliefs, and they're kind of respectable, um, upright people. They, they do good in the community. And the truth that this is trying to teach us, the broadly true principle, understand what I'm saying, the broadly true principle is those ones aren't interested. They're not hungry. They, they, they've set up their lives. They have their religion. They... they, they Or whatever. And they're not hungry for it. I believe we will find that this is true. Broadly. That the kind of people who are hungry for it. Whose lives are really broken. And who are outcast. And who have nothing. No other hope. That's this saying it. That's what the scriptures are saying. That's why I wanted to emphasize. The kinds of people this man invited in. And it does represent us. Um, But we we consider ourselves respectable. And we've been... um, part of this feast, those of us who are Christians, for some time. And so now it's our part to be that slave who goes out. But coming back to this question of this man, because I really want to understand, and I want to give us a very clear flavor of what he's saying here. Let's come to Matthew 22 and verse 1 and see just why This is the way it is. Matthew 22, verse 1. We're going to have to go quicker. Jesus answered and spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven, we're very clear. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And if this is the same parable, we'll know for sure now. (laughs) It sure sounds like the same one. I don't know if it was on the same occasion. doesn't matter. It's the same teaching. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Who was the certain man? He was a king. Oh, you're telling me some people rejected the invitation of a king. And not only that, he's a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So the dinner is is about a wedding feast. Now, talking maybe to the ladies now. Do you consider that there's a bigger day in your life than your wedding day? You say, oh, well, the day I obeyed Christ... And, and put him on in baptism. Well, that's actually kind of a wedding too, by the way. Um, so I'm sticking with this. There's no day bigger than your wedding. And this man is giving a wedding feast for his son and he invited many and he sent out his slave to call those people. So let me tell you another story. 
And let's see if this is a little bit closer to this one. Maybe it'll be helpful, maybe not. You can tell me later. All right, now I'm getting married. And I have a number of friends, at least a couple. And I tell them, I'm getting married next, uh, next year. We're, we're going to get married finally. And he says, great, I'm so excited. Um, and I say, you, I want you to be there. I'll, I'll be there. And then we get a lo- another couple months along. How about this? And I say to him, you know, we've talked about it and we've talked about our attendance in the wedding, you know, the bridesmaids and groomsmen. I want you to be my best man. And he says, absolutely. You know, I will. You've been my brother since the beginning. I will be your best man. Okay. And I go to him. uh, Now it's next year. And I say, okay, we've got a date. It's going to be June 1st. He says, great. Um, Can't can't wait. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be great. And then we get a little bit closer and I say, Hey man, so we, we're going to have a, by the way, before the night before the uh, wedding, what we're planning is a rehearsal dinner, rehearsal dinner. And, uh, you know, we'll have the wedding the next day, but we're going to have the wedding early and we're going to have a great meal because we want our people together with us. We want to share the joy of this occasion. This is the biggest day of my life. He's right. You, this is the biggest day of your life. And he's there. He's totally there. He's not, it's not, the time hasn't come yet, but he's there. Now what happens if the day comes or the week comes and I say, hey, uh, you remember the rehearsal dinner or the rehearsal for the wedding, right? Uh, You know, Thursday night. And he says, oh, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Something's come up. You say, something's come up. It's like something's come up. You know, you know, I wouldn't want to tell you what it is, but you know, I would be there if I absolutely could. But, you know, something's come up. And I say, well, man, okay. And I'm already starting to feel it, right? And that, that time comes and goes, and he's not there. And now the wedding day has come. And it's five minutes before, and where is he? And I call him, and he said, and I say, man, where are you? He said, you know, something came up. You know, you know how busy things are. And whatever it is that he says, is it something like this? You know, uh, in Matthew, he says, they're, they pay no attention to him. One of them goes his own way to his own farm and one to his business. You're talking about business on my wedding day? How can that be? This is the biggest day. He will never get a bigger invitation from me. In fact, he'll never get another invitation from me. He'll never get a bigger there, there's no bigger day in my life. And he has, he has turned his back on me on this day, on my wedding day. Now, I'm not trying to give myself too much license to be injured by anybody else and to be angry about how I was treated. But was the man who has righteous anger justified in being angry when his son was so treated by the people who said all along, yes, we'll be there. It's about the kingdom of God. If you had asked any Jew, any Jew, are you ready for David to come back and be your king? And the kingdom of God is now. Are you going to be there? They are there. And then when the time comes, they're not there. They don't come. And so this is the, why the, you see the response from the king. He's angry. How can they treat my son? How can they treat me in this way? Well, we need to get to the end of what we're saying here. 
even with the pleading, they're unwilling to come in verse 3. He sent out more slaves. He says, it's, it's all prepared. Tell them, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock, and they're all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the feast. I'm a man. That appeals to me. I, everything's butchered. It's been on the smoker. It's like, please come. And even this, they didn't even have even the most basic desire to be there. This is a, this is a deep, deep heart problem. And so... Um, they pay no attention. This is the greatest, the, what we say, I think we've said it. This is the greatest injury, the greatest insult. They added, well, look at the next verse. So he sends out more slaves. And so some of them are, they're, they're getting the cold shoulder. Why are you bothering me, man? Go away. I'm not, I don't want to hear this. The others, the rest, they seized and mistreated them and killed them. Like, where, where are we? that seems really unnecessary. So is this an insult? And this is injury to insult or insult to injury. I'm not even sure which one it is. They're killing my slaves now. The greatest, highest insult. So is the king angry? Oh, yes, he's angry. We need, like I said, we need to draw this to a conclusion. So what we find is, he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready. The time is now. But those who were invited were not worthy Am I judging them to be not worthy? Or like Paul said of the Jews, again, when he said, I, I, I'm fed up, I, I can't make any more progress with them. They count themselves unworthy, right? They've counted themselves unworthy. They were not worthy. Um, and, and so, yes, none of them will taste of my dinner. There are a few things that this says to us. Actually, there's, I'm sure there's a host of things that we see in this that it says to us. The invitation has come to us now. And whether you want to picture yourself as the, you know, the one that was invited first or the one that's invited later, it's, you were invited later. Uh, I don't think we have too many uh, Jewish people in our audience, but it, it doesn't matter in any case. We got the invitation. Are we going to show up? Are we going to be true to our word or is it just, is it empty? Are our words empty? Yes, I'm, I'm for the Lord, but I, I'm not coming. And, you know, we, we have the the uh, um, tradition of offering an invitation after a lesson. And it's, for better or for worse, this, this seems like a perfectly natural and perfectly reasonable time to, to do that. Don't you want to be part of this dinner? This is the biggest invitation you will ever receive. And don't you want to be part of it? And wouldn't you hate to be the ones that you didn't have to even give him an insult, but you could just be one of the ones that paid no attention. How does God, how does God see that? Don't we want to have the hearts that are the people that are ready to be part of the kingdom and, and to be there and enjoy the feast and the joy that he wants to share with us? That's what this invitation is about. Go tell them, come in, the wedding feast is now. Some other applications we could absolutely uh, make from this, but we'll bring it to a close of our time now. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage us. If you want to make that, that change now and choose this as your time to come and be part of that feast, I can't think of a better time. I hope you have the heart that wants to do that and put on Christ and be part of his great, joyful wedding feast. You can do it right now while we stand and sing.